0: I did want to talk a bit about, um, well, I want to talk about the fact that God asks us uh, to uh, listen, uh, to believe, and to act upon his promises. And uh, as we respond to that call, um, it's inevitable that we are going to be influenced, and indeed, often we are dependent upon uh, our dealings with people uh, as we are introduced to the gospel. Uh, And uh, in our relations uh, with people, uh, we want to be able to believe what they say. We want to be able to trust, and indeed, we often seek uh, a, a basis uh, for that trust. When we're children, one of the great things about children, of course, is that their um, uh, their predisposition uh, is to trust, uh, and it's a um, uh, it tends to uh, uh, be displayed openly. Uh, and indeed it's often assumed that a child uh, will be trusting uh, in that way. But sadly, uh, one of the things that happens as we grow up uh, is um, uh, there's a bit of a hardening that uh, comes uh, on us as we uh, have to deal with the fact that uh, inherently the world is a place of mistrust and broken promises. A word spoken so often cannot be Relied upon. If we're to put our faith uh, in anything, we need to be able to trust uh, before we are going to act upon the word that is given to us. And it's very interesting. And uh, if you'd li- like to turn with me, you're welcome. Uh, in Numbers chapter twenty-three uh, and verse nineteen, uh, uh, and with a stronger voice, uh, uh, we would sing this song. Um, <clears throat> but these are well-known verses here where the Bible draws a strong contrast uh, between the promises of God and that of man. Because it says here in Numbers chapter 23, and uh, the context of this story is really interesting, by the way, and you should read uh, the chapters, the verses and chapters around this verse. Uh, and this is at a time when uh, uh, a, a particular prophet uh, was called upon to deliver a curse uh, against the children of Israel. Uh, and uh, as he um, uh, responds to uh, a king who is asking him to do this at one stage, God gives him uh, a whole lot of words where ultimately he turns uh, uh, the apparent desire for a curse into a blessing. Uh, but more particularly here he speaks of the uh, uh, some of the characteristics of God, and it says here that God is not a man in verse 19 of chapter 23 in Numbers. God is not a man that he should lie neither the son of man, that he should repent or change his mind. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? In God, we are told, is no lie. And uh, there is no need, therefore, for God to change his mind or to repent. A promise of God uh, that is being given is as good as done. The word of God is faithful, even as he who speaks the word is faithful. If God would speak a word, he doesn't do so uh, to change it, but he does so to bring it to pass, these verses tell us. He will make it good. He will make sure that it is delivered and that it happens. And that, of course, sums up the nature of the promises of God that we who've received his Holy Spirit uh, can really testify to. Uh, We have heard a word of God which promised uh, uh, to deliver certain outcomes, and as we've acted upon it, uh, that word has shown itself to be faithful and uh, true to us, uh, and that uh, it therefore uh, doesn't disappoint the trust that we give to it. Uh, And as we trust the word of God, as we believe on it, Uh, and act upon it, then God delivers. Um, In contrast, of course, is the word of man, right, the word of God on the one hand and the word of man on the other. And as we grow up, as I said earlier, we we tend to learn often the hard way uh, how inherently untrustworthy is the word of man because a promise uh, at the end of the day is just someone's word and uh, our ability to rely upon uh, a promise depends upon whether we can rely on the person who is giving the promise. That's what we learn as we grow up, as we get hardened, as we get world-weary, uh some might say. And, of course, that uh, learning tends to undermine the basis of trust. And we uh, might rightly say, well, when should I open up? Uh, and give my trust to some words that are given to me. Uh, What and who can I rely upon? To whom should I give my trust? Can I trust anyone? Can I trust anything? And when it comes, uh, if you just think about this for a minute, uh, to just understand how difficult is this challenge to be uh, uh, brought to a state where you're willing to open up and to give your trust uh, into some words that have been spoken to you, Uh, Just think about how uh, we deal with people and the various mechanisms that uh, uh, we develop uh, to deal with the uh, uh, lack of trust uh, that is around us. Uh, So often we look at uh, people's history, we look at their past actions, and we say, well, have they been reliable in the past? Therefore, can I rely upon them in the future? We look at their uh, outward appearance, their demeanour, uh, we look at their body language. We look at the whites of their eyes. Uh, are they shady or not? And we uh, make these subjective judgments, uh, uh, often on very poor grounds, uh, as to whether we're dealing with somebody who we can trust. Whether the uh, promise is believable, uh, uh, we might ask ourselves, well, is it within the capabilities of the person who's giving the promise? Right, so uh, if it sounds too good to be true then it probably is uh and if uh, a person is promising me the world you know i might say well he's not likely to be able to deliver it uh and so that will temper our uh, reaction to the promise that is given to us uh and our willingness to trust in it but overall uh trust is built upon uh, that expectation uh that the one who speaks the word is as good as his or her word. Um, and, and so, you know, the common phrases that we have, you know, we talk about, I take you at your word, uh, uh, he or she is as good as his word, uh, his words are as good as his bond. You might remember, uh, Charles Dickens, uh, uh, in, uh, one of his stories. He said, the word of a gentleman is as good as his bond and sometimes better, he said, as in the present case, whether his bond might prove to be of a doubtful sort of security. Uh, And so you've got my word, just believe it uh, in that sense. Now, if that works, then of course, uh, if I say yes, then I mean yes. And if I say no, then I mean no. And I bring integrity to bear in the word that is spoken. But still, a promise is just words. And, uh, as I said, we've learned from experience, uh, that not all, uh, promises are kept. Uh, and it's interesting to think about the things that we do with each other to try and uh, boost our confidence that the promise can be relied upon. So, you know, what do you do sometimes? You know, you have a deal, you sell something, or you agree to do something in the future, or you have a little verbal contract. What do you do? You shake hands, right? So you go through a gesture. Uh, that uh, uh, indicates, well, yeah, I'm serious about this. Let's shake on it, right? So that's one way. Maybe we put it in writing, right, so that we're not just relying upon people's uh, what people have said in, in, in their mouths and what we remember they said, but we put it in writing, so we've got a record of it. Or m- maybe we can put it in writing and have witnesses uh, who can stand around and testify to the fact that, yes, I was there and uh, A promised B to uh, do uh, this or that or the other thing. Sometimes you put a signature on your document right? and that also uh, helps to affirm the fact uh, that you're serious about what you're doing. Uh, you might remember out of the book of Ruth there's this lovely little story uh, 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 where a, 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 a Boaz buys uh, a, a, a the birthright and the land and in, the, in purchasing the land that uh, he, he had a crowd of witnesses around about him and they were all able to uh, t- uh, witness uh, the fact that the transaction took place and then they passed a shoe, right, and uh, symbolic of the fact uh, that, uh, you know, they now had the right to walk on the land and that was a little uh, custom that had been built at the time. Sometimes it put a seal on a document and that makes it even more important, right, because look, uh, they've got the melted wax and they've stamped it and uh, they've put it on there. Sometimes we require that the promise be repeated to others in a position of public authority. You know, We have to sign a statutory declaration before a justice of the peace or uh, a lawyer or a school teacher or a doctor or something. Uh, sometimes we attach a legal sanction if what is promised uh, to be true uh, is in fact not true. <coughs> and you have to pay uh, the consequences of uh, not telling the truth. Sometimes we require a formal declaration of what is said to be true, right? So we have an oath or an affirmation. I swear by Almighty God, we uh, have to say as we come to court, or I solemnly, uh, sincerely and truly declare and affirm that what I say uh, is the truth. Uh, You can believe my words. And uh, look, uh, we're so used to promises not being kept that we not only have many different ways of trying to increase the chance that it will be kept, uh, but we even have different types of promises, right? Uh, we have different. Uh, uh, so, you, have you ever heard of a vow? Right, a vow is when you make a a solemn promise made to God or any deity or saint to perform some act or make some gift or sacrifice in return for some special favour, right? Now that's a, a pretty. So, we attach reliability to a person's word depending on on whether it is spoken lightheartedly, or something the person will try and do as a, the best endeavors, uh, as a promise, or a big promise, or a, a solemn promise, a vow, a, a really big promise. Uh, it's all a bit sad, really, isn't it? Right? It uh, makes life uh, uh, active and uh, profitable for lawyers. Uh, but makes our life very frustrating uh, when uh, your dealings are so dependent upon uh, the untrustworthiness of the promises that fill our lives and the words that are said to us. Thankfully, when it comes to our dealings with God, <coughs> we are encouraged to understand that we're in a different situation. And indeed, it's important that we are because we are encouraged to observe uh, the, the, the very stark contrast between all of the complexity that we find in our dealings with people uh, and the untrustworthiness of man and to just stop, reflect upon the fact that God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should change his mind and go back on his word. Because when God speaks his word, It'll come to pass. And indeed, he will make it good, the Bible tells us. And that is a wonderful, uh, uh, lesson for us to learn. Because if we can build that attitude of trustworthy, of trusting, uh, and uh, belief and faith in the Word of God, then of course, the Word of God is able to work for us. Now, the great story on promise, of course, uh, is, uh, that of the life of Abraham who was given promises over a very extended period. And we'll read a few uh, uh, verses about his life and indeed it uh, it traces through 25 years of this man's life. Right? And it starts, uh, if you'll go with me, to Genesis chapter 12 uh, and reading here at the beginning of the chapter. It says in verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get you out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you and in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. So what we have in this exchange between God and Abraham is firstly an instruction. The instruction was to leave his home and go to a different land, go to a different place. And uh, that, of course, required him to sever his links uh, to the life that he had built. Uh, it, it says there, and separate yourself from your father's house and go into a different place that I will show you unto a land that God would reveal to him. And this uh, concept of being willing to take yourself uh, out of the uh, life that you've built, uh, the place uh, where you may have uh, uh, familiar and uh, comfortable things that you've built in your life and maybe some wealth that attaches to it, and saying, no, nope, I'm going to leave that behind, and you are to separate yourself from that and to go somewhere that God will show you. So that's how it starts and the consequence of that in the words that were delivered to Abraham was that a blessing should flow and the blessing should be as God made him a great nation to bless himself, his name and to make uh, so that he shall be a blessing and that through him there would be a blessing to others And indeed it says here you'll note uh, that the blessing of Abraham was to extend not only to him and his family but to all the nations of the earth. And then uh, if that was the end of the little exchange here, of course it wouldn't tell you the full story because what's important is what Abraham did in response to both the instruction and the promised blessing. And what he did, of course, was he acted upon the promise. He packed up all that he had, departed from where he lived in uh, Ur of the Chaldees uh, and uh, travelled across to God's land of promise. And it tells us that in the next verse. It says, uh, So Abram departed uh, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Now, one of the um, very important things about the promises of God, is that they become significant only as we act upon them. Until then, it is just a if you like a latent opportunity. It's potential energy, you might describe it. Uh, it it's got a, an opportunity to, uh, to to deliver, but until we act upon it, it's latent and it's uh, uh, it, it's not uh, not being uh, uh, ignited uh, in that sense. And. Um, <coughs> Uh, remember, as I said before, we should always contrast uh acting on the promises of God with acting on the promises of people, uh where broken trust so often leads to disappointment. Uh, God's promise required trust, and here the promise that he gave to Abraham required trust, but in Abraham it led to belief, to, to faith, and to action, and God was able to deliver. So let's line uh, wind the clock forward. And, and going to Genesis chapter thirteen, and you can read the rest of the story at home. But we'll pick it up in about verse fourteen, where the Lord says unto Abram after that Lot was separated from him, "Lift up now your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward." Right. So have a look around you. For all the land which you see, to you I will give it, and to your seed forever. And I will make your seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall your seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land and the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it to you. Now within this, of course, is embedded not only a promise uh, for the land, but also a promise that he will have some seed, right? In other words, he will have children uh, is the promise here. Uh, the, the, he receives a promise that he would have a child. Uh, it's uh, first received that promise when he was fatherless and 75 years old. And uh, God's promise was that Abraham's seed uh, would be as the dust of the earth uh, that could not be numbered. But of course, Abraham had no seed at all, right? He had no children uh, when the promise was given. So at that stage, all he's got is the word of God, which says, this is what's going to happen through you. Uh, he had nothing else. And all the actions that uh, he subsequently did in his life were only based on that word, on the word that was spoken. And a promise, of course, is but words until it comes to pass. So Abraham, not surprisingly, uh, puzzled over the promise, as particularly as the years went by and uh, he didn't get any younger, and neither did his wife. And so let's pick up the story in chapter 15 of Genesis, another couple of chapters on. And in verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. Uh, Now, understandably, uh, I I think, uh, he queries God. Uh, He notes uh, uh, the possibility uh, of his inheritance going through his steward, but it didn't quite seem to fit God's promise, which spoke of his seed, which suggested he was going to have a child. Um, And uh, so it didn't quite work, even though uh, the custom might have allowed that to happen. And Abram said, it says in verse three, behold, to me you have given no seed, and and, lo, one born in my house, in mine heir, is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this shall not be your heir, but he that shall come forth out of your own bowels shall be your heir. And, And he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if you be able to number them. And he said unto unto him, so shall your seed be. So what does God do here? God reaffirms the pure promise that he had initially given. You might say he gives him a few more words, right? And that's all they were. They were just words. And then we have this wonderful verse in verse 6, which is a a lesson to us all. uh, Because Abraham, it says, He believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. So here Abraham is noted as believing the Lord uh, despite the fact that, you know, there are a few things that seem to be going against uh, the word and the promise that God had given. Uh, We're told he believed the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. One of Abraham's strengths was to take the word of God at face value and to believe it, uh, and to act upon it, and to rely upon it as if it were true. But the reality was there was no children or no child. So under the custom of the day, Abraham and his wife uh, tried to work it out, and uh, they tried to work it out in their own ways, and you can read about that in in chapter 16, and for time we won't read it now, but in verse 1 to 4 you'll see that they come up with this uh plan uh, uh involving uh uh a a, a a woman uh, hagar uh and for a child to be born there and it uh, you know they had a, it it was possible under their customs that uh uh they abraham could have a child in that way, um but you know it just didn't quite gel uh, according to the promise that had been given 11 years after the initial promise, when he is 86 years old, uh, this happens, and a child uh, is indeed born of the woman Hagar. And the approach wasn't what God had in mind. Uh, and uh, if you follow the story through, it led to significant stress, not only in the family, but throughout history, it went beyond. Anyway, the story goes on, and when uh, Abraham is uh, 99 years old, 24 years after the first promise, he got a few more words from God. This time it was a bit more specific. We're told that the child that had been promised was going to be named Isaac. And we're also told that he was going to be born in the next year. And we can read about this in chapter 17 of Genesis. It says in verse 1, And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. Neither shall your name any more be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made you. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, exceeding fruitful. And I will make nations of you and kings shall come out of you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto you and to your seed after you. And I will give unto you and to your seed after you the land wherein you are a stranger all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now Abraham reacts to this uh if you pick it up in verse seventeen, we're told Um Abraham fell on his face and laughed. <laughs> right uh, Well, that's fair enough, isn't it? Because he said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, O oh, that Ishmael might live forever or live before you. Now Ishmael is that that child that was born to Hagar, uh, according to the plan that uh, Abram and uh, Sarah had uh, put together uh, uh, some years before. And God said, and this is where he's very specific, Sarah your wife shall bear you a son indeed, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael I have heard you behold I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac which Sarah shall bear unto you at this set time in the next year. Now that's a Uh, a a very specific set of promises which had not been delivered for 25 years. Uh, That's what Abraham and Sarah had to live through. But Isaac was finally born 25 years after the first promise and you can read about that in Genesis chapter 21 from verse 1 to 3. So let's just reflect uh, a little bit about what this all means for us because thankfully we're not uh, uh, hanging on uh, for our aged bodies uh, to bear children. Uh, But there's nevertheless a need for us to listen to a word that is delivered to us. It's a word that is built around the promise of God. And uh, so there are lessons for us in this. And one of them is that there's no point having a promise of God unless we do something with it. The word is true to those who take it and act upon it. Now, think about some of the promises that we have. Think about Jesus' return. Uh, Jesus hasn't come back yet. Uh, Some of us have been believing that promise for decades in our life. He hasn't yet returned. But the word said he's coming back. The word promises that he's coming back. We believe that promise we are to act as if that promise were real for us today because the word that is given even though the promise may seem uh illogical or unnatural or uh, impossible uh, uh to be achieved you know it, uh, take abraham and sarah's situation for 25 years abraham hung on to that promise even though it seemed to have Uh, at its heart, at its core, an impossibility, Uh, that it just didn't make sense. It was illogical uh, to the natural understanding. We have received a word with promises, many of which will happen in future and many of which seem impossible to the natural mind. So the promises we have received speak of our body being changed uh, in a twinkling of an eye. Uh, it speaks of Jesus' return. It speaks of uh, uh, ruling and reigning. Uh, uh, it speaks of everlasting life for heaven's sake. Right? Live forever. Uh, it speaks of a first and second resurrection. We could go through all the detail of the suite of promises that the Bible presents to us of things that are to happen in the future. Many of them seem illogical, impossible, uh, or however you might like to describe them. And you would not expect them to happen if you uh believe things to be as they seem to be, if you were walking by sight, uh, to use the phrase in the Bible, and not by faith, uh, if you walk through your natural understanding of things and the perception that you have built up uh, and apply that to the promises of God, then they do not seem to be what you would expect would happen. And yet the word we have received, we are able to believe it. And even as Abraham was able to believe the word that had been delivered to him and it was counted to him for righteousness, so too are we able to believe the word of God. And that the main reason why we can do that is because of the source of that word. The source is that it comes from God and not from man where his reputation speaks for itself. Uh, God is steadfast and so is his word. God is true and faithful. And throughout history he has demonstrated his faithfulness if we would but have eyes to see it and if we would allow ourselves to acknowledge uh, God's presence in that way. Uh, God is all about building hope uh, and giving us something that goes beyond our natural lives, and that speaks of something that is a better place. And he says, have a vision of this. See it in front of you, believe it and trust in it and make it real for you today. Have faith. Give your trust and it will be effective because it works. Turn with me, if you will, to Galatians in chapter 3. And in Galatians 3 here at uh, it sort of captures in a few verses the essence of the blessing of Abraham and brings it home to us in the New Testament age because it says here in uh, Galatians chapter 3, and uh, we'll pick it up in verse 5. It says, "He He therefore that ministers to you in the spirit and works miracles among you, does he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know you, therefore, that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Remember, uh, part of the promise to Abraham was that through his children there would be a blessing, and it was a it would be a blessing that would be to all the nations. And here, uh, the apostle Paul, as he writes to the Galatians, says that if you are the ones of faith, right. Uh, which for Abraham it, it was accounted to him for righteousness. If if you can believe in these promises, then you are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, in you shall all nations be blessed. So then we which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham and then you can read the next few verses and take it through to verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And the receiving of the Holy Spirit, which is but a promise until we receive it through faith, that is characterized here by Paul as the blessing of Abraham so that all the nations of the earth can be blessed, whether they be Jew or whether they be Gentile, as the blessing of Abraham, his Holy Spirit, comes into our lives. So the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And we see the connection here between the word, the promise, the faith, the action, and God delivering on the promise. In this age, through the spirit, and that's a wonderful closing of the loop, if you like, between what was given to Abraham as a promise and what we can receive in this age. I wanted to finish in Hebrews chapter ten in Hebrews chapter ten and verse thirty five sometimes the promises seem delayed, and one of the things we are encouraged to to maintain even through that apparent delay. Is a confidence that the word is going to be delivered. So in verse 35 it says here, "Cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward, for you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and He that shall come, will come, and will not tarry." That's the promise that we have been we have received. That's the promise we're entitled to rely upon and to trust in. But we need to have patience because it's going to happen according to God's will and we will receive that promise. And Jesus is going to come and will not hurry. And all the people say.